Shalom, salam, namaste. Uh, welcome to Harlem University Radio. So this is Naeem Abdurafi. So, concerning our mission, we study history to find humanity, what was, is, and can be. We write history, memoirs in particular, to find ourselves. Encouraging the reading of what should be read, encouraging the writing of what should be written, this is the Harlem University mission. Harlem University professors share history they are writing or reading. You are invited to join the faculty. No degree necessary. You have only to come on to the show and um, share history you are writing or reading. And in order to... um, Connect with the show about about this. Connect with me about about my offer. Um, I suggest that you uh, go to the Facebook page, which is Harlem University Radio, and that would be the place also to uh, uh, to leave feedback uh, concerning uh, concerning a show. And also, if you were to join the show. Uh, that would uh, that would happen on a Tuesday evening. So we bro- broadcast live Tuesdays at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. So I say this in case you are uh, accessing the show uh, on demand, maybe at the Facebook page or uh, possibly at the uh, Anchor uh, podcast platform. Or, or even at uh, at blogtalkradio.com, uh, where um, the the uh, the show is uh, uh, can be found by searching for Harlem University Radio. So um, <clears throat> tonight we continue with our discussion of of Rome. The title of tonight's uh, show is. Uh, Rome, foundation of Western civilization? That's a question. This is part two of, of that, uh, of, of, of that uh, show. Rome, is Rome the foundation of Western civilization? Or the question might be, Rome is the foundation of Western civilization. Why? That might be the question. So this is part two. And we, we have, we're going to be doing um, one more, maybe two more shows dealing with Rome. Uh, and then we go to um, uh, the, uh, um, what, what, what is the word I want to use? Uh, the rise of, of, of Christianity. So um, that that too is a discussion of of Rome, um, Christianity, the Christian Empire, if you will, <clears throat> evolved from the Roman Empire. All right. 
So let's uh, let's get to tonight's reading. So we're um, we're still in the uh, 1936 textbook titled "On the Road to Civilization: A World History," um, <clears throat> published by John C. Winston Company. Again, 1936. The authors, um, Doctors Albert Kerr Eckel, H-E-C-K-E-L, Albert Kerr Eckel, and James G. Sigmund. <clears throat> um, we're in we're in uh, chapter 16 of the book, titled Roman Civilization. I'm sorry. Yes, Roman civilization and society, uh, and we're in section two of that chapter. The daily life of the Romans in imperial times. So this is this is essentially what um, this show is about: the daily life of of, of the Romans uh, in in uh, in the empire. Um, and um, we won't be going very long. Uh, in case uh, you don't find it as interesting as I do, this might be a little tedious. So just relax and, and um, get what you can. And of course, you can always, um, you know, come back and listen at your leisure, which is what I advise anyway. Okay. So topic: word of defense for the Roman. In our study of, of the Roman as a citizen and as a civilizer, we should not lose sight of him as a human being. Excuse me. <coughs> we should not lose sight of him as a human being. Historians have painted a dark picture of society in the days of the emperors. It has been represented as corrupt and depraved, and some have attributed the fall of the empire to the vices of the people. But we must not judge a society wholly by the follies and wickedness in it. Rome had its beastly Nero, Emperor Nero. It also had its saintly Marcus Aurelius. There were monsters of vice among the nobles. There were also upright and virtuous aristocrats. The people, that is the common people, were not all lazy and idle. That situation did evolve over time as, and as things changed. So there weren't many who were lazy and idle. Uh, there were workers among them who retained many of the sturdy virtues of the old Roman. Regardless of their shortcomings, the Romans were, for the most part, a very human lot of men and women. Their scribblings on walls bring them near to us and show that they had everyday interests like our own. Some of the inscriptions scrawled by careless hands have quite a modern note. So here's some examples. Uh, uh, Epiphra, you're no ball player. Here's another one. Alga loves 
Arabiensis. And another, a blonde has taught me to hate brunettes. Uh, And another, I'm sorry to hear that you are dead. Goodbye. (laughs) And another, Virgular, to her Tertullius, Tertullius, you are you are real mean. Or the New Year's wish, may we have happy Januaries for many years. Okay. Sounds like, uh, sounds very modern. Okay, topic, daily life of Romans. <clears throat> the Romans began their day early. The hustle and bustle of the city started before sunrise. Much of the work of the forenoon was done by lamp or candlelight. The man of letters frequently spent one or two hours before daybreak reading or writing. Even the schools, the courts of justice, and the Senate began their routine at a very early hour. Um, The Roman aristocrat rose before dawn, dressed, was shaved by a household slave, took a light breakfast of bread dipped in wine or milk, a few olives or dates, perhaps a bit of honey or cheese or an egg. After breakfast, he held a reception for his clients who came to gain his favor with their flatteries. The remainder of the morning activities might include a visit to the imperial palace, attendance at a meeting of the Senate or at a festival, a chariot race, or a gladiatorial show. On ordinary days, he went to the Roman Forum or the public square, where he visited with friends or transacted business. At noon, he returned home for a light lunch. After lunch, he stretched out on a couch for his midday slumber, custom which which had been almost universal among Romans since earliest days. His noonday repose over, the noble went to the campus martius, the exercising ground, where he spent an hour uh, or more in play or gymnastic exercise. Just as uh, many businessmen in America today enjoy an afternoon round of golf. Then came the bath. It might be taken in one of the great public baths or in the home. The public baths were provided with dressing rooms and with separate compartments for different kinds of bathing, cold water, hot water, and and hot air or vapor. Hmm. That's a a sauna. The evening meal was the all-important event of the day. The simple menu of bread and vegetables, which had been the custom uh, in Republican days, gave way in imperial times to to a several-course dinner. Much has been written about the gluttony of the Roman aristocrat. Lurid pictures have been drawn of the expensive follies and lavish entertainment of the Roman dinner uh, party. It is true that many wealthy nobles made vulgar display of his wealth by serving rare dishes 
such as nightingale's tongue, and gluttony was all too common among the self-indulgent. But moderation in eating and drinking was not an exceptional value. The development of world commerce, commerce had brought to the Roman dinner table many foreign products, rice, sugar, peaches, just as today. Uh, people uh, of even small income uh, have uh, coffee from Brazil, tea from Ceylon, Ceylon. Uh, what is Ceylon these days? Pineapples from Hawaii, oranges from Florida or California, potatoes from Idaho, dates from Egypt, olives from Spain, and sardines from Norway. The formal dinner uh, of the Roman was in three divisions. First were served appetizers, eggs, pickled, I'm sorry, eggs, pickled vegetables, oysters, mushrooms, lettuce, radishes, and the like. The dinner proper consisted of a variety of fish, poultry, and game and meats, all highly seasoned with salt, pepper, vinegar, thyme, ginger, mint, or wine. Roast wild boar hmm, was a favorite dish, and there were plenty of vegetables. Next came the dessert of pastry, confections, fruits, from eggs to apples, an expression like our from soup to nuts, was used by the Roman to express the whole of anything. Wine was served with all the courses, but after the dessert, the Roman and his guests indulged in a final drinking together, resembling the Greek symposium. Well, I think this would be just the men uh, who engaged in the symposium. That's that's what a symposium was. Uh, uh, it was just a gathering for the purpose of drinking and, of course, uh, discussion and maybe even uh, entertainment. The diet of the Roman workmen, okay, so we're, we're not talking about the aristocrats anymore, the diet of the Roman workmen consisted of bread, lentil soup, bacon, sausages, various fruits and vegetables, beans, beets, leeks, onions, turnips, carrots, carrots, cabbage, and wine mixed with water. The city rabble received their dole of bread from the state. <clears throat> Topic, amusements. The Roman had many holidays which were originally festival days in honor of some deity. Later, the custom developed of having public shows in connection with the religious festivals. Eventually, the religious side of the celebration lost its importance. Athletic sports, such as running, wrestling, and boxing were not held in the high esteem given them in ancient Greece. The Roman demanded something more sensational. For the same reason, the theater was less popular in Rome than in Athens. Roman comedies and tragedies were copies of the Greek, but lacked the Greek fineness of touch. 
The commonies were for the common people and were usually coarse and vulgar. The crowds were fond of slapstick farces and dumb shows or pantomimes. The well-to-do, the well-to-do Roman did not regard theater going as respectable. Chariot races held in the huge Circus Maximus had a strong appeal because they were exciting. The building in which they were staged was finally enlarged so as to hold as many as 30,000 spectators. The Roman boy was as much interested in chariot drivers and horses as the modern youth is in football and baseball players. But the Roman craving for the sensational was best satisfied in the amphitheater. Here were held the exhibitions of wild beasts and the gladiatorial contests. There were fights between two kinds of beasts, a lion and a tiger, rhinoceros and an elephant, or a wild boar and a wolf. There were fights between men and dangerous animals. But the, con- but the combats which were most pleasing to the Romans were those between gladiators, men armed with swords. The gladiators might be slaves or prisoners of war or condemned criminals or trained professionals. They fought to kill. The fate of the wounded gladiator was in the hands of the crowd. If the majority gave an upward flick of the thumb and shouted, uh, and, and shouted, give him the steel, the wounded man was killed. If they waved their handkerchiefs, his life was spared. Hundreds of wild beasts and men were killed during a single festival. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe a festival lasted uh, more, <laughs> more than a day. <laughs> okay, topic. Position of women. <clears throat> the Romans had from earliest times held the married woman or matron in high respect. Woman's position in imperial times was one of considerable freedom much more favorable than it had been in Greece and in the Orient. She became the equal of her husband in law, enjoyed his companionship, and shared his interests. Women then, as now, did not conform to one type. There was the athletic woman who delighted in, quote-unquote, manly sports, the, the vain woman who regularly sauntered about the city in fine attire, uh, while at home, she plastered her face with dough in order to smooth out the wrinkles. The extravagant woman who went into debt for jewels and costly clothes. The woman of many divorces who had husbands in five years. There were women of the selfish, the frivolous, uh, the highbrow, the chattering, and the commander-in-chief types. All women indulged to some degree in the art of beautifying themselves with rouge, hairdressing, and preparations for the complexion. 
One Roman writer informs us that, quote, the lady takes her eyebrows out of a little box, end quote. Divorce, practically unknown in early Republican times, became very common among the upper classes under the empire. But there were many happy marriages, many noble women and good wives, many devoted couples. Topic, the children. Legally, the power of the father over his children remained absolute as it had been in the early Roman family. But public opinion did not support any abuse of this authority, though it was still common for a father to do away with a child who was badly deformed. The life of the Roman boy and girl until they were seven years old was very much uh, was very much like the play life of children in all periods of history. School age began at seven for both boys and girls, and the first lessons were in reading, writing, and arithmetic. The child of well-to-do parents went to school accompanied by an elderly slave, whose duties were quite like those of the Greek pedagogue. Uh, sort of a, a, an, old, an, old, an old man, you know, a, a mentor. Um, the schoolmaster was a harsh disciplinarian. Very few boys escaped being caned or having their ears pinched. It is not surprising that boys often pretended illness to escape attending school. In the more advanced stage of his education, so uh, girls generally did not uh, reach an advanced uh, stage of education. So it's the boys. In the more advanced stage of his education, the boy took up the study of Greek and Roman poets. Later, he was trained in the art of speech making to equip himself for the law courts or the assembly. During his school days, he may have been taught athletics, but the training of the body was uh, of the body was emphasized um, was not emphasized as among the Greeks. Um, at, At 16, he came of age and was registered as a citizen of Rome, supposedly ready to do his duty to family, to gods, and to state. A general summary and survey survey of later Roman times would indicate that the decline of Rome did not come from social or moral weakness, but from economic causes. Hmm. All right, not everyone agrees with that. Perhaps the only exception might be noted in the increase of divorce and the weakening of the older ideals of family life. That's major. But the principal contributing factors in the disruption of the empire will appear in the racial and political changes and their accompanying economic reaction. This is to be developed in the next chapter. So I end here, and um, the next chapter uh, is titled The Period of Despotism and the Breakup of the Roman Empire. Let me see.
Okay. So I'm not joined by my uh, uh, partner, um, Samuel, who's uh, my uh, my grandson, who makes some uh, very uh, insightful uh, contributions from time to time, but we'll be hearing from him. So because we don't have that, I'm not going to bore you with uh, anything else, and uh, we'll uh, we'll wait until next week. So I, I thank you for your um, attention and your forbearance, and uh, you'll... Uh, you can connect with the with the show by uh, the Harlem University Radio page at Facebook, Harlem University Radio, or uh, by way of Twitter at uh, Radio Harlem One. So again, thank you, and you know for your attendance and your forbearance, and uh, have a blessed rest of your evening and rest of your week and and life. Uh, So, shalom, salam, so long.